Hi, it's Richie Siegel, the founder of Loose Threads. I hope you, your family, and your team are hanging in there during these challenging times. We haven't published a podcast for about six weeks since COVID-19 turned everyone's lives upside down. We weren't sure what the purpose of our talk show was in this new environment and decided to sit on the sidelines. But as the crisis continued, we wanted to get back to our roots, talking to leaders across the consumer economy about how they're managing their business. Our specific focus is how they're striking the balance between playing offense and playing defense. Defense is about cutting back as much as possible to preserve cash. Offense means making calculated investments and taking risks to put your company in a stronger position. Just like in sports, a team can't win by only playing defense, and companies that can weather the storm and make opportunistic investments will emerge in a stronger position than where they entered. Our first episode of Offense vs. Defense is with Sarah Pai-Giu, the co-founder of Blueland, a brand reimagining cleaning products to eliminate single-use packaging. Blueland has seen a huge spike in demand in the last two months, but it comes with all the challenges every brand is facing, deciding when to cut back and when to invest. Here's how she's approached and managed the crisis so far. Looking back, I think myself as well as the whole team was in denial. And we were on top of coronavirus pretty early just because part of our supply chain is out in China. And so for those reasons, we were getting sort of a daily or multiple times a day update on the situation over there. And for those reasons, we were very concerned about it as a business. But, you know, for probably too long, we just didn't fathom that it would actually hit the United States Mm -hmm. as well. And the way that it has, I mean, even I feel like the week prior to, you know, even New York moving to stay at home or safer at home, every team meeting, we actually go around and make projections as to like when we'll be back in the office. And when I think back on the guesses that we were making, we were just way off, right? Initially, we thought like, oh, you know, we'll be back in a couple weeks. And then we thought like, you know, surely like May 6th was the new consensus on the team. But I think that definitely took us by surprise how much information was readily available to us. And yet, you know, many of us were kind of holding on to the notion that this wasn't really going to be that bad. Yeah, it felt like every week it slipped a month. Yeah. Every time you learn more, right? Which is crazy. Yeah, and now I just wonder if we're kind of overcompensating a bit, at least, you know, from our perspective as co-founders as well as full team, like now I think we're assuming like worst case scenario. Now we're talking pretty frequently about like second wave and will we even go back this year? We're talking about companies that have already called, like we're going to be work from home till fall or till end of the year. And we're already talking about like what happens if this continues in 2021, because I think that is definitely on the table. So I'm curious, you mentioned a bit of the supply chain piece before, of like you started to kind of feel it in the beginning of the year. How would you basically describe how you started to feel the impact of this via the business and like what those different kind of like milestones were as time progressed? So, you know, definitely, like I mentioned, the first way it came to us was supply chain risk. You know, we do manufacture our bottles out in China and they are longer lead time. We do intentionally ship them by boat versus air. So even once they're available at our factories, it's still another six weeks that they need to travel to get here. And so those timelines definitely introduce, you know, an increased um, set of risks around our supply chain. And so, you know, when we first heard that parts of China were shutting down, you know, that was absolutely our first priority trying to, for one, just expedite as much product out of there as we could, as fast as we could. We weren't the only ones that had the idea and certainly even Amazon was doing a ton of that. So definitely a lot of difficult decisions that we faced there in the sense that obviously, one, we were scared to be out of inventory to sell. But the alternative of, you know, typically like air freighting, for example, you know, air freighting will cost us 
maybe a couple dollars per bottle, which is still much too high. But during that period, the cost of air freight increased six times and actually remains at those levels. And it almost made some of these decisions easier, right? I think already questionable whether it was the financially responsible thing to do to air freight those bottles in the first place. But when the cost of some of those activities increased so dramatically, you kind of have to accept the situation that we were in. And so, you know, we were already drawing up from a marketing perspective, like what alternative routes we would then go with the business if we did run out of certain parts of our supply chain. The nice thing with us being a tablet-based business, if we ran out of bottles, you know, we definitely could shift to a campaign that really encouraged people to use what they have at home, which we've always been very supportive of and encouraging of, but, you know, trying to think one step ahead of some of these pretty worst case scenarios. But we spent probably a week's worth of, you know, over the course of a month, like just hours and meetings talking about this. And ultimately, China ended up holding really steady. And we really had no disruption from a volume perspective. You know, our, our factories did shut down. Chinese New Year was extended by a couple weeks. Our factories from an employee perspective came back at maybe 30% capacity, but they were able to keep the efficiencies incredibly at the same levels. And so we were lucky that we didn't see the disruptions on the Chinese supply chain side. So that was certainly one stage of it. And then, you know, obviously our supply chain concerns then shifted to the U.S. So we do produce all of our tablets here. We do all our formulations here as well as all of our, our warehouses are here as well. And that became a bigger concern just because, you know, it just felt like as a country, we had it sort of less under control. So that quickly became sort of the next cause for concern. A lot of brands arguably would have gone through the opposite situation where they are worried about having too much inventory already. They're worried about not enough demand. It seems like pretty implicit in your planning. You had a sense or knew quickly there was going to be a lot of demand and it was now a question of, can we fulfill the demand? And then at what speed do we kind of temper that demand. Was that like implicit? Did you realize that quickly or a little bit later? Because it seems like you spent a lot of your time trying to figure out everything after that assumption, if that makes sense. Yeah, we do feel like that was pretty implicit for us. But I think we were in the fortunate position where the data came pretty fast. And it was very clear, like our marketing costs, like our cost to acquire a customer dropped in half, like almost overnight, and the volume started surging as well overnight. And I think had it been a little more gradual, it would have been harder. I think there definitely was a lot of cognitive dissonance on our parts as founders to the extent that it was weird because we do have you know, a lot of institutional investors on our cap tables. They were sending out their typical like email to their entire portfolio company of like, here are the five things you need to be doing. And all, it was all about like, cut back any spend that's not fundamental to your business. Everything was all about like conserve cash reduce burn. Right, defense. Exactly. And so I think that part was a little hard to reconcile. Everyone's saying be very, very conservative and don't spend what you don't absolutely need to. But on the flip side, for us, like we were seeing more demand than ever. You know, we were hitting revenues that we didn't even think we'd be hitting in like a year, right? And so, you know, what does that mean? And I think, you know, that's definitely something that took a little more time to work through. But we knew that like, at a minimum, inventory was something that was worth investing in. Because at least in the shorter term, we thought that there would be a surge in demand. And in terms of like predicting the future, I think that's the part that also scares us a little more. I mean, to the extent that this goes on long enough, right, even for an industry like ours with cleaning products, like 
at some point if you know not the population is losing their jobs right and is becoming a lot lot more price sensitive we certainly aren't the lowest you know price point player out in the market and so we definitely didn't assume that we're we'd be immune to it this either but we did feel confident that at least in the next you know few months that we would continue to see the demand was it hard to have those investor conversations where like their whole portfolio basically is swinging one way and you're saying we're going to make xyz investments and i'm also then curious like what some of those investments were beyond the inventory you mentioned they were hard conversations i mean like so many of our investors came to us you know wanting to know and generally our investor base is pretty hands off but you know that during that period they're trying to get a sense of where their portfolio is at and so people were asking questions about like you know where are you from a burn perspective you know where you know xyz and when we shared those numbers you know a handful of people came back saying no i think there's opportunities for you to cut and it's hard because i did have a lot of conviction like no i actually think we're okay but i'm sure that wasn't taken in the best way by everyone but truly i think even before all of this you know we kicked off the year with though we do have you know vc backing right our intention is to not raise more capital like the goal for the year is really to get to break even have a break even month by the end like we've been managing this business already extremely lean we do very little on the brand market paid brand marketing side and so we had no plans and because you have no plans to grow the team and there definitely wasn't a reason to cut the team given where we were and so that one was harder because i definitely didn't want to be like i'm not being difficult i just like i truly believe that i did think we were in a good place and especially given now that revenues were at least twice almost three times more than we expected them to be wow. in the current month so what is that like investment list or part of it is maybe a preservation list part of it's an investment list like what does that start to look like and like how did that come together for you you know a big one was making sure that we were doing all the appropriate investments to make sure that at least for us there was an opportunity and we were taking advantage of the current climate and the opportunity i think in the context of our space you know historically eco non-toxic cleaners are just about like 5 or 5% of the overall cleaning products market but right now about half of consumers are trying new brands and that's largely actually driven by either they can't find their conventional brands on store shelves like they can't buy a fine lysol or clorox or they don't want to go to the stores but the interesting thing that we're finding and we've seen studies on it is that more than half of the people are planning on sticking now with the new brands that they're switching to and so this isn't a credible opportunity for us to have penetration with a set of customers that otherwise would have been very difficult for us to penetrate and so that's definitely one you know being mindful that we have this opportunity with this customer that historically hasn't been our target customer at all but given that we have this opportunity or that we're getting these customers whether we want them or not right whether they're our priority or not how do we then make sure that you know from a retention and a lifetime value perspective we're keeping those customers because you know definitely our early adopters and we're just a year in with our business and so the core of our customer base has been to date most of people that are already very eco conscious that was the main reason people came to our brand and so there was a certain level of education that you didn't have to do because the intention was already there versus i think with this new set of customers we need to make sure that we're easing them into that journey as well as hitting points that for a non-tox consumer would be a no brainer but for these consumers really doing the education around like why non-antibacterial cleaners are just as effective as antibacterial cleaners you know the harms that we see in a traditional toxic cleaner etc and so definitely a lot of investment on the marketing side too rejigger like our messaging our you know email welcome flows our ads etc which 
you know, those things always cost money as well as time, but I think well worth it in, in this environment. Even things like photo and video shoots, it's been interesting as a brand to continue to do those because a typical shoot, and we, we do shoots on the scrappier side, a shoot will have like 10 people um, between like the art director and the digitech and the photographer and the prop stylist and the assistant prop stylist, et cetera. And obviously in this environment, we've had to move these photo shoots, figure out a way to make them a one-man or woman show, which we have. What's supposed to be two two-day shoots that have become like very slow two-week shoots where, you know, our creative team is on video with a photographer that's now become a jack of sort of all trades. But, you know, another area that, you know, instead of pausing down, we've decided like, look, you know, we have momentum. Let's continue to invest in the brand. Let's continue to support new products we have that will be coming out as well as our existing ones. I want to talk about channel a little bit in terms of, I assume the business is primarily online driven. Obviously right now you have people flooding onto Amazon, Target, Whole Foods, kind of the grocery distributors and so forth. I guess, what was the channel setup kind of going in? And I'm curious, has the whole situation caused you to re-look at how you think about where products are sold and what makes sense versus getting someone to come to the site, going to where people are, et cetera? Your guess is right. We have been most all direct-to-consumer online to date. And you know that positioning certainly has benefited us unexpectedly during this period. We have had a handful of wholesale accounts like a Nordstrom, West Elm, Goop. Those are our primary ones. And I think our intention long-term has always been to you know, go into traditional retail distribution. I think, especially from a mission perspective, I think there's a subset of consumers that we thought would have been very difficult to reach. And our guess pre-COVID was about 80% of consumers don't want to buy this category online at a separate destination. I think those numbers will shift. Like I think a lot of that has accelerated more online and will remain more online than expected. But I still believe like once we return to sort of the next normal that the majority of consumers will still want to purchase this on their weekly or bi-weekly trips to Target or Walmart or Costco. I don't think, you know, longer term, our strategy has changed. And so, you know, we continue to work on our channel goals there. I think, you know, at this point, we didn't plan on anything this year anyway. So it doesn't re- really derail that. I think to the extent that this extends to 2021, it will there. I think some of the more brand marketing sort of driven channels has become sort of lower priority. I think what the department stores are going through, I think, you know, would previously have loved our products from a brand marketing perspective in some of these doors. But I think obviously right now that's all on pause. We're what, like six to seven weeks kind of into the whole crisis at now. What do you wish you knew in week one and two? For sure, wish we had known like how long and big this impact would be. We would have definitely planned differently. I think, you know, we still continue to feel a bit behind on the ops side and certainly on the customer service side as well. And I think we definitely could have been better equipped had we known what the magnitude of this impact would be. I think the first few weeks, definitely my head, you know, wasn't on as straight as it could have been. And I think for many of us in the first few weeks was pretty jarring and transitioning to work from home. And I also have a toddler with no childcare outside of my husband and myself. And so I think it was a lot to process all at once. And I think at that same time, there was this pressure from our investors, as well as pressure I was putting on myself to be decisive and, you know, have a reaction, like 
do the sharp right turn or left turn that was needed. But I think in retrospect, and, you know, a lot of conversations were certainly had on the team, but I do think like corners were cut. And I think there are more conversations that happen in silos that could have happened cross-functionally that could have led to better outcomes. And I think it's just always reminding yourself playing the long game. I'm curious from the customer side in terms of how you approached communication at a high level. And I'm also curious, like, are there things that you wish your customers knew or that you like want to communicate, but maybe didn't yet that would either encourage more empathy or them to spend more or less or just think about what's happening differently? Because the role of like buying stuff is really interesting right now. There's a range of different opinions about like whether we should be consuming, whether we can consume, et cetera. Definitely. I think, you know, we've been changing how we communicate to the consumer quite a bit. And that's another one where I think our reaction was a little bit like lagged, right? Like social, you know, that's another one where, you know, being a small startup, being a year in, our goal has always been to like get ahead with the content calendar. I think before, like right as this was hitting, we were finally like a few weeks ahead in terms of like, we had like next week's content lined up. Like we knew what was going up on social and on stories and we had reviewed it and it was approved. And then this hit. And I think we definitely wanted to hold on a little bit to that structure and keep going as it was usual. But I think probably a weekend, you know, things weren't performing. We didn't feel right talking about what we were talking. It just all felt very tone deaf. And so, you know, we then just made a decision to pause, rethink everything. We said it was okay to go dark for for maybe close to a week. And, you know, that also just took the pressure off our team to be like showing up every day, storing every day, posting every day. And I think, you know, set a new bar for ourselves. Like, look, if we weren't proud or excited, if it didn't feel right, like we don't have to post. And now, you know, we're kind of in Sarah where we're kind of like back on the hamster wheel. We're a little bit behind, but it's okay. I think it's just, again, understanding that like we're in a new world and we need to sort of flex appropriately. You know, definitely with our customer base as well, catering our messages to the concerns that they have. You know, antibacterial is a big one. Questions around, are these products effective? And we have so much to say there. So I think it's been a good opportunity to engage on those topics on email and social. I think there's definitely a subset of customers that are, are a little bit more impatient. And we understand like these are very uncomfortable situations. So, you know, whether it's on you know, shipping delays, which are, you know, beyond our control, USPS, UPS, FedEx, everyone's seeing it, even Amazon, you know, it's taking you two weeks to get something from Amazon. So there are definitely, you know, times where we would want to ask people to be a little more patient and kind, given the circumstances, and just the fact that even with our warehouses, you know, we're slowing things down intentionally, but also get people are stressed. And, you know, these are products that for some people, they do need to feel like they can safely function. I think we're also seeing Unfortunately, some amount of like xenophobia, you know, we've never hid behind the fact that our bottles are manufactured out in China. And it's very interesting to see just the negative comments that I think, you know, are being driven by sort of a broader climate that we're in and sort of the origins of Corona. But, you know, the irony of like people being like, you know, I'm never going to buy anything that's manufactured in China as they type it from like sent from my iPhone. Right. <laughs> trying to buy um, their own PPE. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think this is another area where, you know, ideally we could say like, this is time for more openness and kindness, but managing through it. <laughs> What's been like the cheapest and most expensive lesson you've learned in the last seven weeks? Most expensive lesson we did pursue a new product in response to all of this. And it was mostly driven by our desire to give back. 
because we felt like we were such a beneficiary of everything that was going on. You know, we saw an opportunity to create a product that was very much so in need. We thought we had the supply chain to do it. We got reassurances every which way. Like, and so we pulled the trigger, placed the PO, we sourced like everything. You know, I think the team really paused for two weeks and like shifted our resources this way. And then ultimately one ingredient that, you know, we were told every which way we were going to get, the contracts were locked, like they have it for us. All of a sudden we couldn't get it. All of a sudden the price of that had gone up, you know, all because of this one. And there was like 14 other ingredients we had sourced and purchased and ended up being at some point we had to pull the plug on as much as we wanted to do it. A gift back and a mission and just everything perspective, like we had sunk so much time into it and a ton of money. So good lessons that hopefully we can take with us to future launches. The cheapest lesson, you know, continue to really just value social as a channel. I get every single notification on comment and DM that comes in to Blueland, which is overwhelming given we have like 140,000 followers at this point. But it is so valuable. I think even glancing at those messages that come in, it's probably not healthy for me <laughs> to get that level of interruption, but just being able to feel like I have a direct real-time pulse into like the tone and concerns and of people as well as what they're excited about. And I feel like even just through that alone, I've been able to see how our customer has evolved quite a bit since pre-COVID and and post-COVID. Have you felt a need or a want as a co-founder to both speak up more publicly and to customers and kind of be more visible. There are a lot of like companies that have sent tons of, you know, emails from the CEO and so forth. Like how have you kind of played out on, I guess, the visibility you want to have at this time? We've always kind of leaned towards being more visible. I think that was kind of part of the initial plans from a year ago. I think we've always viewed that, you know, you can only be a startup once. I think we should celebrate the fact that we have like real people and faces on our team that you can relate to versus you buy something from a large CPG and it's like you have no idea who's making your products, who's doing your social posts. And so I think we've definitely continued to do that. I wanted to do certainly more of that and it's been a struggle, just my work from home with child situation. But I still jump in on a lot of like customer service emails as well as DMs on Instagram that we get. And for my personal, I try to you know engage on as many of the posts that go up. I think it's as important for the community as it is for just me to have an understanding of the customer base. Of all the changes that you and the team have made during this time, what do you think is going to stick after hopefully this starts to wind down in terms of strategy, how you operate, that you landed upon a solution or a cheaper way or scrappier way of doing things that you're like, wow, we actually could keep this. Like This doesn't have to only be for when we're in a crisis situation. I think a big win for us has been just the newer, tighter partnership between marketing and ops. Previously, we were maybe doing the demand forecasting together once a month. But again, given that we can be placed in orders every week, every two weeks, I think the better we can get at that, the better we can you know, inform ops more real time on what we think might happen. That's real cash saved from an inventory perspective. So I think that part certainly has been exciting for us. I think similarly, I think we've had a tighter partnership between customer service and product as well. I think because, again, we've attracted a different set of customers with different sets of questions. We feel like we've kind of had to come up the curve on you know, a different consumer than we had for the first you know, nine, 10 months of our business. And so I think you know, those cross-functional conversations that are happening at least weekly, if not every day, are something that are, again, worth 
continuing and continuing to keep this. I feel like in this environment, we've developed this mindset of like, we need to have a better pulse on what's happening and get that feedback through faster. And I think that's a really good mentality, regardless of whether you are in a crisis or not in a crisis, because I think that just, you know, enables us to disseminate information to more people faster and enables us to act more nimbly. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sarah. Talk to you soon. Thank you.